You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 89. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I'm your host, Jesse Mogul, episode 88. 89? Almost at 90? Oh my goodness. It's only a matter of time before we hit the 100 mark. It'll happen a little bit into the 2021 year. If we make it there, (laughs) there's a lot going on in society. And I certainly am looking forward to everything just playing itself out and us being in a place where we can understand that we all have different points of view, that we all have a different model of the world and the way that we look at things. And I think it's important that we understand um, empathy and realizing that people have different experiences they've had in life. And that's what brings us to the meetings that we go to. That's what brought us into this life that we live now, that we literally are living and breathing through. I am in addiction recovery and have been now for almost 46 months. We're coming up on the 46-month mark. I will hit four years on January 13th. Um, All of this political drama that we have been experiencing for the last four years actually started a week, one week after I got sober. And I always remember that because for a lot of people, it seems like it's been in a very tumultuous time for the last four years. And whether you were defending your party or um, having your party being attacked, whatever it was, whether you were the attacker, the aggressor, whether you were the bully or you were the bullied, however that looks from your point of view, what we want to really be mindful of and stepping into the feeling of is empathy. And when you hear me say empathy, or a lot of you, the way that that looks may not be the same that it looks for me. In my opinion of it and how I see it and the way that I'm going to talk about being empathetic over the next half hour or so may not feel for you the way that it feels for me. It's it's an opportunity. And this whole episode, I I know I, I love backdooring into my actual topic because while I'm starting off with empathy, what we're ultimately going to be covering today is how we are often comfortably uncomfortable, right? Comfortably uncomfortable. And then in other times we are uncomfortably comfortable. And just like I had a really good time last week making sure that the four stages of learning a skill um, was like a tongue twister and a half, right? Where we talk about unconsciously incompetent, consciously incompetent, consciously competent, and unconsciously competent. And if you want to know more about that, then just go back into the archives and check that out. When we talk about being uncomfortably comfortable versus comfortably uncomfortable, a lot of the times what ultimately ends up happening to us inside when we're starting to think about the feeling or feeling the feeling, right? Like that's the goal, right? To feel feelings and not think about feelings, which is what I love to do, think about feelings, is that where we tend to lose a lot of our empathy is by thinking that a couple of things. We think, one, we have to have gone through the same scenario to be able to put ourselves into that person's model of the world, into that person's shoes. And in NLP, we call it the model of the world. For the sake of this conversation, we'll just, you know, at times I'll say model of the world or MOW or, you know, in the same shoes, whatever it might be. 
where we lose some of that empathy is by thinking, well, if I didn't go through exactly what you did, then how can I possibly uh, be able to empathize with you? And so we'll end up throwing out compassion or sympathy, like, I'm so sorry for you, rather than, like, I am sorry that happened to you. I can understand your pain. Because for all of us, we have a certain level of suffering that we have gone through. In addiction, we learned that everybody has suffering, and how we decided to heal ourselves through that suffering was by using. And then ultimately, we decided that the poison, uh, the medicine became the poison. And so when you think about empathy, and you think, well, I, had, I didn't go through what that person did. I didn't, you know, get on a boat in the middle of Syria and try to make it across the Mediterranean Sea. I didn't grow up in an inner city, or I didn't grow up on a farm, or I didn't grow up in the rural areas. I grew up urban, or I didn't grow up urban. I grew up rural. Going back to the Tony Robbins' six human needs, right, is that we understand that at the very base is that we all have these human needs that we're looking to be fulfilled. And certainty, significance, variety, love and connection, growth, and then contribution. And those are the six. Love and connection is actually two words, but it's actually only one in his six human needs. It can throw people off whenever they're like, dude, you just said seven words. Let's not get hung up on that. <laughs> Let's think about how having empathy for somebody can allow you to understand that one of their human needs was sacrificed by them in order to yada, 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 right? And it, it often, it's not just one, it's, it's a slew of them, right? The Syrian escaping and, and trying to make it across a boat in Greece and you come across them, there's certainty of living at home in their homeland, gone. The variety of just having their life be what it is there and, and having their habits, but also the random things that just were, were to happen, that's gone. The significance that they could have had in their community, gone. The love and connection they had with their neighbors, their friends, their family members, gone. The growth that they were able to have there, gone. The contribution, gone. Because now all of a sudden their community doesn't exist anymore. And during the trials and tribulations that causes anyone to, to, to uproot themselves and, and go into another area of their life, whether it's something as horrible as the, you know a Syrian refugee, and I've used this for like the last year or two just because I'll never forget reading that story um, in, I don't know what magazine it was in, and thinking, I can actually relate to what it's like to lose all of these human needs. Because I was running it through the filter of what human needs were were lost by these people in order to go and find another place to survive. And if we could be empathetic towards what they lost, when we went to invite them into our communities, we wouldn't see them as possible you know, agents of destruction in our community, but rather people who could grow it and fulfill a part of our community that we didn't even know needed to be grown and fulfilled. And so think about this in terms of something that might be a little bit more um, too on the nose at home for you. You go and you hear somebody else's story. You hear somebody else's plight. And you may not have been sexually assaulted or, or sexually abused or whatever the myriad of things that people can bring up as they're suffering when they're in these meetings. But you can relate them back to these human needs and see where those things were lost or threatened by you. And when you do this, you can step into empathy. And empathy is something that we have lost I don't even think it's just our society. I think it's the world in general. It's like, well, that's not in my backyard. Why do I care about the rainforest? Why do I care about 
deforestation? Why do I care about the loss of water around the world? Why do I care about the land being poisoned by these gigantic corporations who just use up the resources, including the humans, and as soon as the profit margin is not wide enough, they pick up the whole operation and they roll, leaving this community in in shattered, tattered, torn with land that is poisoned for generations to come, which will just make more young people leave, thus devastating the community even more. Now, I know I could just go off on some of these little tirades and start painting this ridiculous picture that some of you may not even have thought about, but I think about this kind of stuff. When I throw away some garbage or I waste a resource, I think, what if 500 million other people are doing this at the same time I am? Then I can understand the effects, and then I can step into the empathy that we should all have for the planet. So closer to home, if you can step into the empathy for the model of the world that these people have and and ask questions and figure out how many of the human needs did they lose during the story they just told you? How many of the human needs did they have threatened that caused them to have a point of view that you may not think is a good point of view, that you might even think is a poisonous point of view? Depending on what side of the aisle and the politics you side with, the other, the, your side can throw out just as many heinous things about why the other side is bad for the world as the other side can about you. doesn't necessarily mean anyone is bad doesn't necessarily mean that anyone at their core has hate or degradation. Is it degradation in the right world? I don't know. My point is, <laughs> it doesn't mean that they are inherently bad people. It doesn't even necessarily mean that their view of the world is flawed. Because their view of the world is theirs, and yours is yours. And the experiences you have, the memories you have created in your life, bring about your opinions, which turn into beliefs. And these beliefs become your values. And whether your values were passed down to you by uh, other generations or learned, however it came about, it becomes a part of you. And when you attach your identity to these values, and then somebody comes up and says something that goes against what you value, you feel threatened. And then our, you know, our reptilian brain takes over and thinks, well, we're being attacked. My life is threatened. I'm getting an adrenaline pulsate through me. And in the past, cavemen thought adrenaline uh-oh, fight, flight, freeze, or sex. Now all of a sudden I've got to you know, fight for my life or I've got to run or i got to freeze and try to play dead so the bear doesn't eat me. Or, and I know this is a different one, most people thought it was just fight or flight. Freeze and fuck are the, actually the other two. And I read about this in a psychology um, article. And so I like to say sex because I don't just want to sit here and spew out the, the F word this entire thing and then have Apple decide to... I, uh, need to get slapped with like a parental advisory warning. So when we attach ourselves to an identity and we think when somebody disagrees with us, we're being threatened, we'll ultimately want to fight back. And if you think that the only two options are either be bullied, be the victim, or bully, the tendency is going to be to bully back. Even if you don't end up bullying the bully, or fighting back against the bully, you'll end up finding someone else that you can bully so that you can therefore feel better about yourself on the inside. When you only think the two options that exist are be bullied or be victimized, then the tendency is going to, I mean, I mean, trust me, I have met many a, of a person who has a more of a meek manner and they will allow themselves to just be steamrolled all the time. And then what does that get you? But a constant feeling of isolation 
and of less than, and then you get depressed and you get sad and you feel like the world isn't fair. And then you start behaving like the world isn't fair, which just continues the feedback loop on you that the world is not fair. And if you're a bully, then the feedback loop revolves around you feeling like, well, when I bully, I get my way. Things go the way I want them to go, and therefore you continue to bully. And then for better or for worse, now you're in one of these lives, and it may not even be the life that you really want to be living. So going back to the empathy thing, when you start to not be able to step into somebody else's shoes, you ultimately are losing this ability to connect with someone else across the aisle that more than likely felt the same human needs exposed as you did in their life and have chosen to respond and react or react and not respond appropriately, right? We talk about reaction being emotionally triggered. We talk about response being emotionally grounded. Took me a little while to get there when I first brought this up many, many, many episodes ago. I think I used to say emotionally centered. I've now gone with emotionally grounded, all right? And then you see these people talking on the television or yelling at each other in public from across the street because one is pro this and the other one's pro that. They're just screaming at each other and nobody's listening. No one one even attempts to step into the empathy and the few that do are the ones that find themselves not accepted by either, either side. And that what's worse than being kicked out of a tribe is realizing that just because you left one tribe does not mean that another tribe is waiting for you. We are tribal creatures at heart. We were grown, we, were, we prospered as a species when we got together, communicated, and worked as a communica- community. So when you lose the ability of empathy, you begin to lose a sense of community. And when this sense of community, again, is threatened, the reptilian brain shows up, fight, flight, freeze, or fuck, and now next thing you know, you find yourself arguing with anyone who even remotely disagrees with something that you think because now your identity is being threatened, your beliefs are being threatened, your opinions, and my opinion doesn't matter, that I'm stupid or I'm less than. And I mean, you see how this turns into a gigantic freaking spiral. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that this world hasn't imploded And we are certainly setting ourselves up that way, the way weapons and technology are far outpacing our emotional intelligence. The Terminator scenario doesn't seem like such a bad idea if robots could just run this place a little bit better than us. Unfortunately, based on the movie, they decide we're not necessary. (laughs) And we are. All humans on this planet are necessary. Everybody exists for a reason. There's a, there's a purpose to their life. And just because you may not, not get it or understand it or even remotely want to be a part of it does not mean that their existence on this planet matters any less. In fact, your ego making you think that you're the only way and your highway or the byway kind of scenario is the only option that people have if they're going to deal with you is bullshit. I have been fighting through a lot over the last few years to allow other people to have a different opinion around me. Even if I've done 14,000 hours of research that tells me that this is the right way to think, I can't even possibly begin to try to understand everybody else's model of the world, their point of view. And so at some point you have to just acquiesce. You just have to say, okay, you have yours, I have mine. I may not understand it. I may not even get it. There may be a part of me that thinks that it's poison but I still understand that in this world, all of us have a purpose here. All of us belong. 
Now, how does this go and attach itself to uncomfortably comfortable versus comfortably uncomfortable? I've given you your why motivation over the last 10 minutes or so. Your desire to want to seek out other people's model of the world and walk a mile in their shoes or hell, even just five steps is because when you don't, you will isolate yourself or you'll find yourself only allowed in certain groups. And then if you even begin to sway out of that group, you might find yourself with no group. Isolation and depression and sadness will follow and that is not a healthy way of living. It's just not a healthy way of living. So you understand that the motivation is that you begin to isolate yourself. You ultimately find yourself all alone on an island and you'll be talking to a volleyball named Wilson and things will not go well for you. (laughs) So now what is comfortably uncomfortable versus uncomfortably comfortable? And again, I get this is like a tongue twister and a half. But it came about during a market research interview I was doing with someone. um, And for the life of me, I have to go back through my notes to remember his name. But if he's, if you're listening, brother, I know you're recognizing this because you, you're the one who introduced me to life term instead of long term. And I'm pretty sure you're the one who said we all are living uncomfortably comfortable lives. And this got brought about around the idea of living in your comfort zone and then pushing yourself outside your comfort zone in order to grow. You know, whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, in order to grow, you have to step outside your comfort zone. Well, what if your comfort zone is actually just this whole big lie that you created around yourself and you're not even comfortable in your comfort zone? And that's how you become uncomfortably comfortable. That's what we did during addiction. We convinced ourselves that this life that we were leading was somehow okay that the, the, the medicine we were using to overcome our suffering was okay and that this was the way that we could be behaving and that we, it's okay to behave this way. And we were extremely uncomfortable for years, but had ourselves convinced that this was the comfort zone, that this was the good place for us to be. And it wasn't. It wasn't at all. And now when we're listening and we're talking to other people, we're looking at their ways of seeing things versus the way that we used to see things and we're, and we're, and we're growing and we're talking about all this cool stuff in meetings and getting a sense of other people's emotions and feelings, we go back and we think, wow, what used to be to me an extremely uncomfortable practice of sharing with others in public forums and, and being vulnerable about my suffering and the trials that brought me here and the pain that I have lived through. We step into this new world where actually being uncomfortable becomes our comfortable. We become comfortably uncomfortable. We get so used to challenging ourselves and pushing ourselves through our old way of thinking, our old mindsets, we, we push ourselves to have conversations that are vulnerable and difficult. We go out and we seek to find new ways of growing in, in manners that we had never even known existed, right? We went from that whole unconsciously incompetent where we didn't even necessarily know something existed out there to pushing ourselves to, at the very minimum, be consciously competent to stage three where you had to still think about it, but you're doing it. So when you go and start thinking about empathy 
And you think about how you could possibly begin to see somebody else's point of view, even though it radically goes against your own opinions, values, and beliefs. You need look no further than what you have done to yourself, for yourself, in your sobriety and addiction recovery. To me, it's, it's almost appalling to think that we, as people in addiction recovery, could sit here and just plant our flag on a hill and be ready to die on that hill over somebody else's agenda. I told my girlfriend recently, I was like, you know what? I do not plant my flag. I do not die on somebody else's hill for their platform, for their beliefs. I just won't do it. Because what happens if they change their platform or beliefs? Now, do I have to change mine? I, I, I signed up to be on this person's team, and now they went off and did something I don't necessarily agree with. Now what? Now I'm stuck still dying on a hill for somebody else who has lost my faith? I won't do that. I believe in me. I believe in what I can do. I believe in my choices. I believe in my thought process. I will listen to other people and I will gather up some new data and I will decide if that's how I now want to think. I'll decide if that's how I want to feel now. I'll decide on what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to decide on the things that I go out seeking to learn from. Like Rumi says, that which I am seeking is also seeking me. So if you go out seeking other people's model of the world and you actually go out seeking empathy for other people's plights in life and, and to be able to, at least at the very minimum, be able to say something like, well, at the very least, we can agree, right? Like, can't we at least say that? Like Rodney King once infamously said, can't we all just get along? So when you are thinking about all of that's going on this year and all the different arguments that have started and probably all the arguments that were already happening beforehand that we can't even remember now because this world has just been thrown topsy-turvy. Start asking yourself, where are you uncomfortably comfortable? Where are you tired of living the same old story and at convincing yourself that you're comfortable living it? At some point, in your addiction, in your active using experience, you looked at yourself in the mirror and said, you know what? I, th- my uncomfortability in this comfortness that I have convinced myself exists around me is bullshit and I'm tired of it and I'm ready to seek something else. And when you decided to seek something else, that which you were seeking sought you out. You found yourself in sobriety, flying up on pink clouds and pink elephants and pink piggies and whatever else was pink around you. You were soaring on it. Or is it the blue cloud? I don't know. I heard it referred to both ways. I don't think that clouds have a gender, so I'm not really sure if it was pink or blue. But either way, I was on it. I was flying. I still am. Almost four years in, I'm on the cloud. Cloud 9, cloud 17, all the clouds, every cloud, I'm on them all. And you are too. Not every day is grand. It's not sobriety that sucks. It's just life sometimes. But when we got tired of the uncomfortability of the comfortness we had told ourselves we were living in, we made a change. And we decided that we would, instead of being uncomfortably comfortable, we would start to seek out a comfortable uncomfortability where we just started to challenge ourselves so much and push ourselves so much that we were just like, this is my new way of being. 
My new way of being is stepping into the fear, living through it, and coming in on the other side saying, you know what? That was not so bad. Try seeing somebody else's point of view on a topic that you are radically different than them on. And even if they're spewing out nonsense, and it's not even real facts, and it's all based on opinion, but they swear that what they're saying is the way of the world, whatever. Nod your head at the very least. Say, okay, don't respond at all. Let them get whatever they want off their chest. If that's how they feel, that's how they feel. Screaming at them or starting to bark facts at them isn't going to get at the emotional anchor they have attached to their point of view. In order to get people to see things, hear things, feel things from your POV, from your model of the world, you, 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 the reason why we make the choices that we do and the decisions that we do is because there's an emotional feeling inside. Emotions are at the heart of every logical decision that we make. I'm reading this book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, and he talks about how everything comes in through the five senses, which we've discussed because we've all talked enough about NLP here to know that we experience the world through our five senses, touch, hearing, seeing, taste, and smell. All of that stuff comes in through the eyes, right? But it actually, it's, it comes in through, right? That's how it enters in. It, it enters in through all five senses. Most of us think it's just what we see. But it's all of it, right? So let me go back. It's not just through the eyes. <laughs> do, 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 do. If I actually edited this show, I would delete the last 20 seconds. <laughs> but I don't. Because um, I like you guys to hear me just go off on my own little Jesse place. Anyways, everything that we experience comes in through the base of the neck, through the spinal cord, and when it travels up to the front part where, of our brain where logical thinking is, right? We've discussed this before, the whole amygdala cerebral cortex thing. It, the halfway through the, the traveling process, it hits the area where we are using our emotions, right? So everything that we experience first travels through our emotions before it ever travels into our logical brain. And the beauty of this um, emotional intelligence book that I've been checking out is that, I mean, they literally dive right into that, right? Spinal cord is where everything enters. It's the limbic system where I feel here. And then I think rationally is way over at the front of the brain where we've talked about the cerebral cortex before. Now, I'm not a scientist. So if you are sitting there with some sort of anatomy book in front of you and I'm wrong, by all means, go on Instagram, let me know. Try to remember all this stuff off the top of my head. But sometimes I don't. But I, I got all the words right, and I got the basic geography of the brain down. <laughs> so you can trust that I have put in the effort to not just sit here and spout off things that aren't true. So it goes to the limbic system, and then it gets to the rational part of the brain in the front. So everything that we sense first travels through an emotional center in our brain before it ever gets to the part of us that's going to make a rational cognitive thought, that's going to that's gonna decide rationally. Why is this important to know? Because when you wonder why people can have such emotional attachments to things, even if they don't make sense, it's because it traveled through the emotional center of them first. And if their emotional intelligence is lacking, which it is for everybody, unless you are like one of the 10% of the planet who somehow mastered emotional intelligence, even though we were raised by an emotionally unintelligent society, more than likely I'm speaking to the other 90%. And one, that's made up stat, but two, it's real. Emotional intelligence is real. We know it is. That's why people with with lower IQs than the highest IQ person can be way more successful based off just emotional intelligence alone. 
So when we think about these opinions, values, and beliefs and why we get so stuck in them and, so, and adhering so much to them, it's because there's an emotional attachment. Well, my grandma thought that way, or my mom did, or my dad did. And it was either lovingly bestowed upon me or it was beaten into me either, you know, every other way in between. And when we get to a place where we can just no longer even remotely open our mind up to what somebody else has to say, we are finding ourselves in these uncomfortable conversations. And we, honest to God, I believe that everybody seeks to find a comfort zone. And so we will do our best to surround ourselves only with people who think like us because it's better than being challenged. And there are certainly times where I am just not in the mood to talk politics or religion or anything else that might be considered a hot button topic because I just don't, I just don't have it in me. I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't need to hear yours. I, I'm definitely not going to tell you mine. It is not important. Let's all just get along. Let's talk about something that we can agree on. Let's just find some commonality. Right? But even if somebody absolutely adheres to your favorite sports team, they may not like your favorite sports team for all the same reasons. Just like if you are you love Jesus and God and you've read the Bible and you believe in the Bible, doesn't mean that everybody believes in the same Bible. Everybody interprets it differently, which is why there's so many different subsets of Christianity and Catholicism. So even there, you start to find tribes breaking down. And there you can start to find people who lose empathy for one another because you don't believe it the way I do, you can go to hell. And then they would literally start wars back in the day, slaughtering each other with swords and axes over what? A belief that wasn't anchored in any kind of reality to begin with. It was all interpretation. So when you think about using empathy this holiday season, when you think about using empathy around any of the hot button topics, and this is definitely coming out the day before the national election, let's just hope that the country doesn't implode on itself and turn into a civil war by Friday. Start thinking about where you're noticing people not having empathy for other people's model of the world. Again, you don't have to agree with it. Just by listening to somebody else and having a conversation does not mean you condone it. But so many people have it wrapped in their head. I should have said that sentence at the beginning. Just because you listen and talk about something doesn't mean you condone the other person's opinion, value, or belief system. Listening and conversating and discussing does not mean you condone. There are a myriad of examples out there where some, where a leader of the Jewish faith or the Catholic faith or the Buddha faith or Islam or all of those will be friends with other people who are leaders in their, in their faith because they just love the conversation that comes from just discussing this higher power and what that could actually be like. I posted something about AA on Instagram a couple weeks back. I don't know. It was a few posts ago anyways. And the vitriol that came out for people who supported AA. And there was some on the other side as well where it's people you know, were saying, no, AA did this, this, and this. And it's like, I, I just couldn't believe the way some people were talking about other people's programs. Because if you don't adhere to the way I see it, you will fail. Wow. Where's your empathy there, bud? Where's your empathy there, gal? What in the hell are you talking about? You're going to have the audacity to tell me that it's your program or no program. If I don't follow your program, then I am going to fail and I'm going to end up in an alley and I'm going to be doing drugs and all the other stuff that comes with being in an alley. 
<laughs> Seriously, right now. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You want to go out? You want to go see some vitriol? Go check out that post about AA. <laughs> I mean, I, literally, the most commented a post I've ever had in my entire life on Instagram, and I couldn't believe th- the amount of it that was that was negative. There was a lot of positive in there too, but the amount of people who went at one another over some stuff, and I'm just like, wow. Wow. So, wrapping this up, how are you uncomfortably comfortable versus comfortably uncomfortable? We get that having different opinions, values, and beliefs than other people is just the human way of life. So when you ask yourself, where are you not showing enough empathy? Where are you not giving yourself an opportunity to connect with somebody at a deeper, deeper level? And at the very least, you're walking away with a wow, that person has had a very interesting life. That person has done a lot. When we said back at the beginning of all of these episodes that we were going to push ourselves to think differently, to feel differently, to talk differently, to see the world through a whole new set of eyes, we were talking about what we could control for ourselves. When you let somebody else dictate how you're going to feel, how you're going to talk, how you're going to see the world, you're basically giving your power of your choice and who you are over to somebody else. I love being a part of the manifestation of your amazing life. It is truly just breathtaking when I read some of the messages that you all send me. I most of the time don't even know how to respond because I never expected to get messages like the ones that you all send. But in the end, I help you manifest the version of yourself that was always in there already. I don't call myself a motivational speaker because I believe that we all have the motivation that's already inside of us. I will call myself an inspirational speaker because I feel very, very deeply that I inspire you. I inspire you to spark that motivation that already exists inside of yourself so that you can start making your choices based on how you want to live. Yes, I would love it if everybody would go from reaction to responding, but even I react sometimes. I've gotten way better at just reacting in my head and saying, okay, breathe through what that person just said, what that person just did, and it's, it's, wow. So there are times where I'm just like, wow, that is what just happened in front of me. (laughs) But I would rather control myself, take a moment, take some breaths, center myself, get emotionally grounded, and then respond more appropriately than to just go off the hinges and start reacting like old Jesse would have. I am often very comfortably uncomfortable in that kind of behavior. Remembering, like I said before in other episodes or even in this one, just because you listen to what somebody else has to say does not mean you condone it. Doesn't mean that you believe it. Doesn't mean that you're going to accept that as your opinion. Doesn't mean that it's going to become a value of yours. Just because you listen to what somebody else has to say does not mean that what they think has to become what you think. Listening and opening up a space for that person to share does not mean you condone in their behavior, the way they feel, their model of the world. This certainly doesn't mean that's how you're going to start to talk. It just gives you an opportunity to just hear 
what somebody else has to say. Because somewhere along the lines, they got that kind of belief system instilled into them, and that's now how they think. If you want to change somebody's opinion, you want to change somebody's beliefs or values, you have to come in at an emotional level because that's how decisions are ultimately made, at an emotional level. What we experience goes through the limbic system, which is the emotional part of our brain, before it travels to the rational part. We will make decisions emotionally based and then use our rational thinking to justify them. I push for you to get more comfortably uncomfortable, to have those difficult conversations, to be able to step into somebody else's model of the world. And the tools that I will offer you up to accomplish this are coming at you next week. Me and my peers of NLP trainers and master practitioners and the, the like, we've all done so many things. Denise is an amazing woman who goes off and helps parents uh, with children with um, learning issues. I don't know how a better way to describe it other than that. I know she deals with some of the most amazing children on the planet, and she gets them to, to strive and thrive, and it's just amazing. And the work she does with the parents of these children is equally amazing. We have Bruce and Carissa, who themselves have four children in the house. And they, and they focus in on helping parents understand the child's model of the world and being able to communicate with them better so that they can teach their children better communication and emotional intelligence practices because that's how we're going to change the world is that we get, become emotionally intelligent ourselves, and then we go off and we show those lessons to other people. That's why I'm reading the Emotional Intelligence 2.0 book because I really believe emotional intelligence is where our society is faltering. You've got Danny C. Muniz, who you just met a handful of episodes ago, who uses NLP and astrology to help people understand the world around them in a way that is truly enlightening. I love it. These are the people I'm going to be putting on this communication summit with. And it's because of things I've talked about today that I feel so vibrant toward what we're going to be covering next week. So that when you step into these communication opportunities with your friends and family over the holidays and politics and religion and COVID and the other myriad of you know, land, mind, uh, conversational topics that will come up, that you'll be able to step into it comfortably, knowing that while it's going to be uncomfortable, that if you respond in a mature, emotionally grounded way, not only will you come out of it feeling better about yourself, but you'll have learned something amazing about that other person. It might be amazing really ridiculous. <laughs> you might walk away being like, what on earth did that person just say to me? But at least you'll have opened up a space for them to share. You want people to open up a space for you to share. You want people to open up a space where you can talk about all this new awesome stuff you're learning in your sobriety and recovery. You have to open up that space for other people. Even if what they're saying to you sounds like it's grounded in emotional instability or a reactionary kind of communication process, you can't control other people, y'all. You can't. You can't change the entire world. And who's to say the way that we see things is necessarily even the best way to see things? Even the best 
you know, quote unquote, self-help professionals out there. The, the, I am not your guru type of gurus, Tony Robbins and, and the rest. I don't even know. I'm not even going to sit here and name them all. Even their way, the Eckhart Tolle's of the world, their way isn't always everything. It's not, it's not the end all be all, but it is definitely information that is awesome to add to your brain. I love helping you manifest your life. I love the messages I receive. I love knowing that I have played a role in you becoming the version of you that looks back at yourself in the mirror and says, hell yeah, this is what I'm doing. But I can't make you do this stuff. I can inspire you to find that spark that's already in you, but I can't motivate you to get off that couch. I can inspire you to want to get off that couch. It's the spark that already exists in you that will help you accomplish it. Come next week to the Communication Summit. You can go to my bio link where we have complimentary tickets to it. It's absolutely complimentary. We want to be able to reach as many people as possible. We know for a fact this is going to be a tough holiday season. Being able to understand the different archetypes in your family, being able to step into the tough conversations. One of one of the ones I'm covering myself with, I believe it's Carissa, is breaking out of old family roles, old friendship roles. Were you did you used to be the black sheep? Did you used to be somebody that people made fun of in the family as the way not to live life? And now you are living life with purpose and passion because you are curious about the world and you find many things interesting and you're constantly growing, but people still want to see you as the old drunk, wasted user, drug abuser that used to stumble into the front door on Thanksgiving and Christmas, making the fool, acting crazy? Were you the old drunk uncle or drunk aunt everyone was mocking behind the back and now you're this new, better version of yourself and they just can't seem to get on board with it? We're going to provide you some tools so that you can step into the new you. Come be comfortably uncomfortable with us. It is way better over here than uncomfortably comfortable with a shitty life that you already know you're tired of and you're just not willing to change. It's like the growth mindset versus fixed mindset. In some areas, you're fixed. In some areas, you're growth. The goal is to get as many as possible into the growth world. Will you always bat a thousand? No. But the fact is, is that you're trying, that you're putting effort, that you're getting up every day seeking to be a better version of yourself than you were when you woke up. And you put your head on the pillow at night saying, I did it. I am going to bed a better version of myself than I was this morning. Even if that meant all you did was five sit-ups, eat a little bit healthier, hold your tongue when you wanted to lash back out, whatever it might be, It's the smallest, simplest steps that add up to an old growth forest full of trees that are 200 feet tall. A tree does not grow overnight, but it is majestic when you give it time to bloom and prosper. And that's what you are. You're a tree that is blooming and you're prospering. And there will be some days where you'll bloom amazing flowers and you're like, I am on cloud nine or the pink one or the blue one or whatever cloud I want to talk about. And there'll be other days where you just made it through a storm, but you're still standing. Didn't lose too many branches. All the birds come back eventually. You become the version of yourself 
that has always been inside of you. These trials and tribulations were meant to test your soul. Don't stop at sobriety. Join all of us in addiction recovery by stepping into the comfortably uncomfortable space that provides the absolute truest, most resounding growth that you could possibly imagine. And then one day you're going to be over here and you're going to start to imagine things that are even beyond your imagination if you were to look back four years ago. Like I just, I'm four years, so I'm just talking about myself now. Like Back to Basics is the entire theme of these shows ending the year. And there's a reason because we came from somewhere and I'm living a life now I couldn't even have imagined. So now the things I'm imagining of doing weren't even anywhere. I couldn't even comprehend them. I was unconsciously incompetent about the things I could achieve because I didn't even know they were possible because I hadn't even rounded that corner. And every day I round another corner. Every day there's a new opportunity. Come join me. We'll be there next week. We're waiting on you. The bio link Get your complimentary ticket. More information will be on social media. It's basically going to be from like 9 a.m. to noon, 9.30-ish. I think we're starting them around 10. I just kept throwing out new numbers. I said 9, then I said 9.30, then I said 10. It's been, we started at 10. I think the first one goes till about 10.45. We'll give you about a 45-minute break, and at 11.30, we start the next one up till about 12.15, and then we're going to do some Q&A spattered throughout. So in reality, it's... 10 o'clock Pacific to about 1230 Pacific with a break in between. So depending on where you're at in the country or the world, that'll be available to you. It's going to be happening through Zoom. So you will definitely be able to get on it. I don't care if you're in Iran or Iraq or Venezuela or South Dakota or Australia or the Netherlands. I have made sure that this was available to all of my listeners. And a complimentary ticket is waiting for you in my Instagram bio link. I love you all uncomfortably comfortable is no longer our way of life. We will be comfortably uncomfortable from here until we call it a day on this planet. And I would have it no other way. I know you agree. Or you probably wouldn't be listening to my show. (laughs) Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Let life live through you. Come through it and the growth will be exponential. Love you all. See you next week. Bye-bye.